and uh, we could have our service there. I, I'm coming off the mountain because we went camping this weekend and I'm probably going to go back up the mountain. But if I weren't at the mountains for Labor Day weekend, I'd probably prefer to go to the beach. Actually, I'd probably prefer to go to the beach anyway, but ended up going to the mountains. And uh, you didn't need to know all that. But, but And my beach of choice is the beach that I grew up on. So I have some pictures here to introduce you to my hometown. Uh, the first one, this is Pismo Beach. Beautiful Pismo Beach up on the central coast. Who's been there? Anybody been there before? Just re introduce you to this place. Just a small town, but you see, you know, the home of the giant clam. That's not a real clam. They made that, but they paint on it for different seasons of the year, promoting different events. And you've got Splash Cafe, the world's best clam chowder. That's what it says, but it's also, it is true, truly the world's best clam chowder. And you just miles of white sandy beach there in, in Pismo Beach. And uh, does anybody know what's the best route to take to get there? The one, but you can't really. I mean, yeah, what's the what's the best? What? 101. Yeah, if you were to put in MapQuest, it's going to say, you know, get out of LA and then shoot up the 101. And um, now I agree with that. That is the safest way to go. But is it really the best route? I think there's another route that's a little better, and you'll see this one. You see that little 154 highway that goes by that lake there, Kachuma Lake the bottom there's this little i mean not everybody knows about this little shortcut but there's this shortcut you can take it actually takes you by uh, michael jackson's old ranch the whatever they called that place neverland i think but um you can just take this shortcut rather than staying on the 101 and going up through the safe route with the wide roads you can take 154 it's a two-lane highway it'll get you there about 25 to 30 minutes faster as long as you're not stuck behind the the guy who's taking the real scenic route through the mountains trying to view all the wineries and everything but there's this uh there's this little secret there and uh if the conditions are right it's definitely faster but it's not a safe route there's a lot of accidents on this road um like i said you kind of it's always a gamble you come up to it i'm always oh should i do it i i think about the time of day if it's night i'm always i hit the 154 because i'm just all about getting there and uh, but this is how we do things in life isn't it God says there's a way to go. There's a, like MapQuest says, you better take the 101. That's a safe way to go. But it's just like us to think of a faster way to get there. I mean, and I'm guilty of this to where I'm just, there's got to be a faster way to get to the camping trip. And so, you know, certainly we've found a faster way to get there because um, we're all about going off course if we need to in order to accomplish our goals. And I, I'm okay with those off-road adventures and, uh, if I'm going to get to someplace faster. God knew this about us. He knew we'd struggle in this way. And so this, this whole idea of going off course or finding our own route is really something that comes up in the Scripture quite often. And we've been looking at a book of, uh, book of Ephesians in the fourth chapter where Paul, who planted, he started a new church in this city called Ephesus. He starts this church in this city, which was a very, very worldly city. And this this Ephesus was kind of like your modern-day Las Vegas, in a sense. And the people in Ephesus, the, the way of thinking and the way of living was very, very worldly. And so those people who decided to follow Christ in the city were very, very different than the culture that they were immersed in. And many of them, they adopted a new way of living, but then they would begin to dabble back in some of the ways of the past. They'd look back and think about the things they used to be into, and they start dabbling with those things and what would happen is their lives would get off course. They'd 
depart from the safe route and their life would begin to move in another direction as they're aiming to get some of their goals met in life. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul reminds the Christians in the city that they're living in a culture who's opposed to God. And so he, he, let's look at where this starts. This is not in your outline, but if you'd like, you can take out this little message outline. But this is the, it starts with these, the, with this passage here, or the passage starts with these verses. Paul says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles. The Gentiles, that's a term used to distinguish all people who are not Jewish, all people who were not, um, you know, well, and in this case, people who lived a very different lifestyle, a more, and they would call it a pagan lifestyle in the Scripture. People who didn't follow the God of the Bible, they just disregarded God's ways altogether. And so Paul's saying, look, I'm going to, I want you to pay attention to the way you live. Don't live any longer like the Gentiles. Now, when he says that, it's implying that they used to live that way. This could be said of all of us here, that we all, at different points in our life, had decided to just live life independent from God, to take God out of the picture and to rule our lives ourselves. The verse goes on and he describes the way of the Gentiles. He says, They, in their futility of their thinking, they're darkened in their understanding, And they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Verse 19 says, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. He's describing this way of living. He calls it the Gentile way of living. And this was the way that they lived. This was, this was the former lifestyle of the Christians that he was writing to. This is what they were used to. This is the environment they were living in. And he was encouraging them, move in a different direction. That's off course. That's finding your own route. The way they're doing it is not the safe way to live. And he's saying, you know, they're darkened in their understanding, meaning they have this spiritual blindness going on where they couldn't quite make sense of things. They couldn't connect the dots spiritually in life. In fact, they were dead spiritually. And Paul, he's using this because he wants them to understand the new way of living. He wants them to understand the, the way, the, the safe route, the course that God would want them to live. This Gentile way of living, he describes it as they're insensitive to God because they'd really been cut off from Him. They didn't know Him. They'd given themselves over to all sorts of sensuality and they were never satisfied. Every type of pleasure imaginable sexually that was the way of living. And they were never satisfied. So they're always getting more. They'd, they'd try something new. They'd experiment with this. It sounds a lot like our world, though. And Ephesus was this major city in the Roman Empire that had a, uh, that had a temple in it that was one of the you know, major uh, wonders of the world, the seven wonders of the world of the, uh, what do you call that, the ancient world. And Ephesus, this temple, was a temple for Diana, Artemis. I don't know if you're familiar with the history there, but she was a pagan goddess who her form was somewhat of a cross between a cow and a wolf. Somehow that was supposed to be attractive, I guess. I'm not sure, but um, that, was, that was Artemis. And her, her temple was full of temple prostitutes who would serve um, singers, eunuchs. There was, you know, there was just all sorts of sexual activity that surrounded this temple. And so people would worship this pagan god by going to um, the temple, having sex with all these prostitutes and just enjoying 
every kind of sensuality, and as it's describing, with the continual lust for more. This was just their way of living. And Paul is saying, look, you're coming from a place where you used to live for yourself. Life was all about you and getting what you wanted and, and seeking to fulfill all your pleasures. And then he shifts here and he says, there's something new for you. In Christ, there's something new and I want to remind you of it. So look at uh, the first bullet there in the outline. The Christian life, what he's trying to get at is the Christian life is a journey where we continually seek to live in a way that pleases God. In the past, they lived to serve themselves and they lived to, to, to seek their own pleasures. But the Christian life is different in that you're now no longer, you're taking yourself off of the throne. You're saying, I'm not God anymore. I'm going to put God on the throne of my life and live to please Him. That's what the Christian life is about. It's this journey, though, that involves many other people. But Ephesians 4 continues. He says in verse 20, You, however, you didn't come to know Christ that way. Meaning, when you were introduced to Christ, it was clear that you were going to have to depart from the off-road living. You're going to need to get on a different course. Verse 21, Surely you heard of Him, speaking of Jesus, and you were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. They all knew how different it was that Jesus lived. He, he didn't live for Himself. He, he set a pattern that was very, very contrary to the way that the world was moving in. If you skip ahead, Ephesians 5.1 says this about, about Jesus and His connection to God. Be imitators of God, it says. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Paul keeps hammering on the issue of lifestyle and living. It's because this is a way of life that he was trying to remind them of. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Christ sets this radically different example of how to live because He gave up His own life. He gave up His pursuit of His own personal pleasures for the sake of other people and for the benefit of others. And so... Paul's saying this is the starting point. The Christian life is not about ourselves. It's about living to please God. That's the pattern that Jesus set. And along the journey, another thing in your outline, along the journey, old ways threaten to pull us off course. All sorts of old things in the past. That's why Paul started there with, he reminded them of where they were coming from. But old ways, they threaten to pull us back to the way we used to do life, to our old thinking, to our old patterns Look at verse 22. He says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. To, to, to get rid of it. To discard it. To get rid of the old ways of living which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Verse 24, And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We're always presented with the opportunity to move off course in life. To, to just find a different way, a faster way, a shortcut in life in order to get what we want. And the rest of this passage is a challenge to just keep putting off or discarding, doing away with the old ways of living if you've already decided to follow Christ. Because the old ways will keep reaching into your present and wanting to drag you back into captivity and into bondage of an old lifestyle. And so here's how to stay on course over a lifetime. Here's how to not get pulled back. And Paul gives us five areas here. So it's broken down into some different thoughts, and I'm going to break these out for us. Verse 25, how to stay on course over a lifetime. Verse 25, he says, The first thing is, therefore you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. 
for we are all members of one body. He's talking about, again, he's talking about the group of people that had already committed their lives to follow Christ. He's saying, so you have to put off falsehood. Falsehood means lying. So the first thing is avoid lies and games. That's the first way to stay on course over a lifetime is just avoid altogether lies and games. This was how we used to get what we want in life. Lying is usually used to protect ourselves, to protect our own interests. Like if I want something in life and I set after it and I know it's out of bounds and someone catches me, a family member, a friend, they they say, hey, is that a good idea? Well, I, I might lie in order to protect my interests because I don't want to be honest about the fact that I'm off course. And so he's saying, look, you used to use lying in order to protect yourself. Don't do that anymore. Avoid that. Put that off. That's an old way of doing things. Exaggeration, that's another form of lying. Um, When we exaggerate, exaggeration is truth with a little bit of lies added on, isn't it? We start with the truth, we have good intentions, and then we embellish it. And we're all guilty of this. We just stretch the truth a little bit and we exaggerate. That's, that's an old way. He, Paul's saying, that's old. Get rid of that. That's not only it's not true, but it's also a game that we play. So avoid lies and games. Instead, we're told to do this. We're told to keep tightening up on the truth. Just keep tightening up on what is true. Keep getting your, your minds, your, your hands, your lifestyle wrapped around what is true in life. Keep moving towards honesty in our relationships. When, we, when we're off course and someone says, hey, it seems like you're headed off course, rather than lying about it and making excuses for it, just being honest, you know what? You're right. I'm dabbling in some of this old stuff. I'm, I'm doing some things that aren't right. It's just being honest. This, is, this brings freedom. This keeps us on course with God. But the implication in this verse is that the church cannot function without truth. Because this is talking about the whole body. The whole body is impacted if we allow lies and games to dominate the way we do relationships. If we're not honest with each other, then this will do damage. So it says we're members of the whole body. When one part of the body feels it, we all feel it. And I pulled this as a quote. You don't have it on your screen, but it says, just like our physical bodies can't function properly if each body part doesn't communicate correctly with each other, if our brain were suddenly to start giving false signals to our feet, then we would stumble or we would walk in front of moving traffic rather than stopping on the curb. If our brain falsely reported hot or cold, we would freeze to death because we felt too warm or we'd be scalded in a hot shower while feeling chilly. The truth is essential, especially in a a community like a church. If we operate with truth, we really can relate. We can get up close to people and we can be loved for who we really are, for the things that we're really dealing with. We have a, a core value in our church that as I was just looking this over again last night, all of our core values kind of popped out of this passage. This is heart attitude number two. It's live an honest and open life before others. This is just a decision to stop and to not play games in our relationships. And the way we deal with each other, we want to deal honestly with each other. So he starts there. Lies and games. And he says, move towards truth. Then the second thing is he shifts to our emotions. He says, emotionally you can get off course if you let some things get a hold of you. Verse 26 says, In your anger, do not sin. He's quoting an Old Testament verse. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So we want to deal rightly with anger. That's the point that comes out of there. Deal rightly with anger. Anger is an emotion that we all experience in life, isn't it? You get disappointed, you have a goal, and it gets blocked by a family member. We all experience anger. 
Now, it's what we do with it when things don't get our when things don't go our way, when we're ticked off. Sometimes we just lash out. We handle anger in the wrong way. Sometimes we might kick into rage, which is like uncontrollable anger. Other times we might not deal with our anger and it just burns inside of us. We have a goal. We're not getting our goal. It's blocked. And then we begin to get bitter and we hold grudges. And I can see head shaking because we know this is true. This is how this is this is where we struggle in life. We get and bitterness. The thing with bitterness is um, it eats away at us from the inside. Bitterness is just anger and a grudge that we're holding on to, and we just we it starts infecting the rest of our thinking. It starts. That's the problem with bitterness. It's infectious. And when we do this over time, what the scripture is saying here is the enemy gets involved in. Um, he gets involved in our lives through unresolved anger. When we go to bed day after day with grudges and with bitterness, we're giving the devil a foothold. This is what the Scripture is saying. This is a space that he will occupy in order to control the outcome of our lives. Now, this may be a real spiritual... Uh, and I'm not going to go into this whole issue of uh, demonic activity in the life of a, of a follower of Christ, but this Scripture is talking to people who've already committed their lives to Christ. And he's saying, look, anger, unresolved anger is an opportunity for the devil to get involved in our, in our living. And this troubles me as a follower of Christ because I don't want to give the devil a foothold. The Greek word for foothold means space. It doesn't just mean like uh, opportunity. It means space. And so... None of us really want to open the door for the enemy or any, you know, anyone to come and bother or influence our lives and thinking. And, but he works in the realms of our thought life. And the blinders, he's able to turn the blinders back on when we, when we do not deal with anger. This is the area he works in. This is one way he can begin to work, at least, is unresolved anger. And um, I was thinking about this passage because the passage really, later on you'll see there's this... Um, explanation of darkness and light darkness and light like we were darkened that's the gentiles way of living they were darkened in their thinking and so when you've experienced the light but then you hold on to anger it's like you're backing into that cave of darkness again and yeah you're still god's child but you're dealing with a lot of unnecessary baggage because of bitterness and grudges and this stuff what it does is it it works its way into families and there'll just be this chains of bitterness in families. And, it, and unless we break the chain and we say, I'm not going to let this continue on to my kids, then you know, it, it just goes on and on through generations. And so this is such an important area. Look at Hebrews 12, 14 through 15. Look at the infectiousness of bitterness. It says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Like I said, this stuff run, runs deep in families especially. And so if you recognize that, then decide to cut that off. And Scripture in Ephesians 4 is saying, let the sun down. In your anger, do not, be, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. What it's saying is, let the sun down every night be a trigger for you to scan through your relationships and think through, am I clear with people? This is hard attitude number four. Clear up relationships. Just not going to bed angry. You know, we all have opportunities to get angry every day. 
But we do have a choice to clear it up. Sometimes we can't clear it up because the other person is not willing to allow the relationship to just flourish, but we can clear up our end of a relationship. And so I just strongly encourage, and Paul is saying, look, this is one way to stay on course with God. Refuse to go to bed angry. Then he shifts again. He shifts in verse 28 to something different. He shifts to our work and our responsibilities. Look at verse 28. It says, make... Verse 28, what does it start with? He? Yeah, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. But he must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. So now he's moving towards the way we produce income or the way we're, we've given responsibilities in life. And he's saying, just steer away from stealing. Steer away from shortcuts. There's all sorts of things like this that will crop up. But stealing and shortcuts, that's an off-road adventure. That takes us off course from the life that God would want. No one is completely free from the temptation to steal. There's temptation to steal all over the place. In the workplace, from the government, from our families, from a bank, from a store. They make an error and it's in your favor. That's an opportunity for a shortcut. But we have to watch ourselves because anytime we're looking for the easy way or the quick cash, we open ourselves up to shortcuts and to this whole area of, 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 uh, of stealing. We can go off course very easily. Look at this video clip we're going to play. This can even affect your relationships. Sometimes in our relationships, we're just very uh, we're irresponsible and we're letting others pick up the, 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 you know, the slack for us. And this can get really frustrating. What's up, man? How's the job hunt going? I don't have a job, man. I know. How's the hunt going? Well, I don't find jobs. Jobs find me. Uh, jobs don't find anybody. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Being me is my job. Really? How's the pay? Listen, man. Today, I sent out some emails, entered a contest at the grocery store, and put my free fries coupon to work. Did you um, pick up the milk when you were at the grocery store? Oh, I knew I forgot something. Hey, can I borrow five bucks to get some now? I gave you five bucks this morning for milk. Oh, that's long gone. Come on, you want dry cereal? This is uh, heart attitude number one. But the goals, this, this really has implications on the way that we, we carry our own load in life. We, we also... This passage is talking about how we also look to the interests of others. But as you can see, the roommate there, he's just looking for his own interests. And, and someone else is picking it up for him. Someone else is carrying him through life. And this is frustrating, but this, this is off course for a follower of Christ. But we all have opportunity to take, this, to take shortcuts in life. They're presented to us very often. Um, personal example of this, where, where I was presented with this just recently, School starting. Uh, my son is in kind or no, he's in first grade now, and we're starting up the new school year. And um, right at the gate, as we're entering in the first day, there's this opportunity for free and reduced lunch. And you know, I look at the, we get the packet, and we talk to her, her about the income levels, and I read the packet very carefully, and I, I see a loophole that I think, hey, we can capitalize on this loophole. See, I'm just like all of the rest of us here, and. Uh, you know, shortcuts are available to us. 
it's, it's very carefully reasoned. You, know, you have to add in all your salary, your wages, your uh, alimony, your this and that and this and that. And I'm thinking, as a pastor, um, I have what's called a housing allowance. And it doesn't say anything about the housing allowance. And I scan it and I ask the lunch lady, well, I'm a pastor and I don't know, how do I total this whole thing up? Do I include my housing allowance and my salary? Or, do, you know, I read that the military, and I found another loophole, the military says the housing allowance is not included as salary. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm like the military. But in my mind, I realize I'm looking for a loophole. And uh, my wife's like, no, we just need to do the thing. And I'm just, well, let me call the food services hotline. So I call the food services hotline because I'm like, maybe I just need to, and I'm working through this whole process because I'm realizing, you know, because the federal government as a pastor, that gives you some allowances when you file your taxes that are legitimately legal for ministers. And so I was thinking, maybe I can extend the, the boundary here a little bit to cover us in this one area so I can personally gain. And, uh, and the Lord, as I was thinking it through, I was reminded that the lunch lady said, they don't even check these things. Now, I had just told her I was a pastor, and she, they don't really, just put whatever you want there. They don't even scan these things. And then, as the Lord was dealing with me on this issue, a passage came to my mind that I had memorized in the past. It's Hebrews 4.13 is up here. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. And I'm like, I may not be accountable to the lunch lady, but I can't duck God every day when I know that that wasn't, wouldn't have been right. But this opportunity presents itself to us all the time. I know I'm not the only one that has to struggle with those kinds of issues. And I want to share that with you because I, I understand how easy it is to get off course in life and how subtle you know, it is to take a shortcut. But the truth is, God, I have to give an account. You have to give an account. This is an area where we need to stay on course in life. He, one other thing in that passage, he says, you know, we're to take care of ourselves so that we may have something to share with those in need. God wants us not to just have our scope of responsibility and concern being our own family, but he also wants that to extend to others. People in our church, people in our community. That's hard attitude one. Put the goals and interests of others above my own. Look at where he goes. Then he shifts to the way we use our speech. Ephesians 4, 29-30. It's just a really powerful passage because of all that it hits on. Verse 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So he's saying, look, there's all sorts of unwholesome. That word unwholesome refers to that which is corrupt or food that's been spoiled or vegetables that have been spoiled. He says, don't let spoiled or rotten, filthy things come out of our mouths don't let that come out of there. Anybody ever had your mouth washed out with soap? I'm pretty sure that's where our, our parents and grandparents got this from. It's the Bible. It's get that filth washed out of there. But the idea is there's this bad, rotten stuff that resides inside of us that wants to come out at times. So we're to keep our mouth under control. That's the point here. Keep your mouth under control. Sometimes thoughts come out of our mouth you know, they're in our mind. These thoughts come up in our mind and they come flying out our mouth. And our mouth is like a gate. As soon as you open the gate, out comes whatever we're thinking. And sometimes it would be better if we thought more carefully about opening up the gate because this, this can do real damage. Look at what James says. 
James says this, the tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea, they're being tamed and they have been tamed by man. But, and catch this, no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No man can tame the tongue. That means you can't ever let it run loose. That means you can't ever be careless about when the mouth and when the gate opens. We have to watch. We have to scan the thoughts first and decide what we want to let come out. How many times just this week have you said words that damaged others and you just wish, I wish I could take that back. I wish I would have shut my mouth at that point. I had a handful. And in a couple of them, I realized I'd crossed the line. I had to go back and call a buddy and say, you know what? Forgive me for what I said there. That was wrong. And I shouldn't have said that. But this really... You know, when we cross this line, when we recognize we're off course, we're off-roading here, the best thing to do is just get back, clear it up. Own up to what we've said. Own up to the words that were not right. Because this thing cannot be tamed. So it's best to clean it up and learn from, those, learn from the pressure of clearing it up and saying, I did wrong, because that adds a little bit of pressure. Proverbs 17.28, it's not in the outline, but it says this, Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent. I think that's a hilarious verse. Here's this fool. Because he doesn't say a whole lot, everyone thinks, man, he is a wise man. Because sometimes we just start letting the gate open, things come flying out, and then people realize, wow, he's not very smart for for saying that. She's not very wise for saying that. A fool is kept, you know, he's seen wise if he keeps his mouth shut. So we're just to really keep an eye on this area of the way we use our words. Um, Choose words that are encouraging appropriate, and gracious. That's just another summary of what that verse is saying. Encouraging meaning they ought to be helpful or constructive and uplifting. Appropriate meaning they should fit the situation. Look at Proverbs 15.23. It says, A man finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word. Some words just really fit the moment. They're appropriate. Some words and some things are just Better left unsaid. And I can attest to this because I screw up on this area a lot. And I was telling my wife, man, I feel like this is the this is the one area that I or this is the area where when it says the tongue cannot be tamed, I'm like, I know. I can't seem to get a rain on this thing. Sometimes, you know, I might be late at night playing games with friends and just I should go too far. So this is an area that's off course. Paul's saying, Don't let that old way of living drag you back to that same place. Our words should be gracious also, this verse is saying. The goal of all of our speech is that it would be like a gift to the people that are in the room, that are listening. That's a, that's a challenge. Isaiah 50, verse 4 says, The Sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. There is a time when you'll be in a situation or an interaction with a friend. You'll, you'll be interacting in relationship. And, and there's a gracious word that you can say. And God gives us the opportunity to speak in a way that blesses like a gift to people. And they're, they're just encouraged, they're strengthened, and it, it sustains the weary. All of us, we have weary days. And we're to use our, our mouth as a way to be a blessing to other people. This, this in, in a roundabout way, is heart attitude number three. There's a way to 
give and receive scriptural correction, sometimes encouraging words, sometimes it's correcting words. But we're to use our, our words for the benefit of others. And then verse 30, he wraps up. For those of us who, who follow Christ, he talks about how the Holy Spirit is grieved with the things we say. The Holy Spirit is, is God's Spirit who lives inside a follower of Christ, sealing us for the day of redemption. So the question here is, why would we do anything to displease the One who has sealed us? We need to stay on, on course in the way we use our, our mouth. And then the passage concludes with verse 31 and 32. just wraps up and he says, Get rid of all bitterness, all rage and anger, all brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. He just gives another list. But the truth is, if we just stay on the road, if we stay on the safe course, the road that God wants us to stay on in the way that we do our lives and our relationships, there's tremendous blessings in life. If we continue to just find shortcuts or find off-road trails, what we do is we walk back into darkness and we have a real hard time seeing um, what God would want in life. If you're, if you're a follower of Christ and you, and you get off course in any of these areas, you don't lose your relationship with God. You didn't earn your relationship with God, so you can't lose it. God, through Jesus Christ, He made a way for us to know Him. And He's the one that holds us in His hands. Not by our works. It's, it's what He's done. So we can't lose it. But what we do is we can have, in our own rebellion, we can have some very, very dark days in our lives, in our families, in our relationships. But can you imagine what our homes would look like, what our, what our churches would look like, what our community would look like if we took this to heart in the way that we let our lives play out? Look at it. Let's wrap up with this verse. Ephesians 5.8 says this, For you once were darkness. This is what he's saying to that same church. He's saying, For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. <clears throat> can you imagine what would happen if we all lived as children of light Reflecting, what that is, is a picture of reflecting God and His ways to a very, very dark world. Let, let's go to Him as we wrap up in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank You for, again, thank You for Your Word, how it speaks to real issues in our life, God. All of us can identify with these um, opportunities to go off course. And uh, Lord, right now I'm sure we're struggling with maybe a handful of them and, and God, I pray that through uh, Your Word and as we've looked into it, Lord, I pray that You would rise to the surface one area that You'd want us to get back on course with You. Help us just to pick one area, God, that we've been going off-road in and that we've gotten off course and it has created some dark days for us. There's consequences we're experiencing possibly. Lord, I pray that right now You would bring to mind one of these areas, our speech, our, our emotions, our work patterns, just the way we, we uh, do relationships. Lord, show us that one area that You want us to focus on so that we can begin to reflect the light that we have inside of us, Lord. We ask You for the power to do that. In the name of Jesus, Amen. I'd like you to, to take out your welcome card, the connection card, and on the back you'll see there's some next steps that follow along with the next steps on the back of this outline. The first next step is this. Um, it's the, just taking a step towards God. It's, I'd like to commit my life to Christ for the first time. If you've never come to the point where you've decided to follow Christ, you've never decided to make Jesus the boss of your life, 
you feel like, you know what, I'm still living for those old ways because I've never really yielded to a new way of life. I've never made that step forward and connected with Him. I want to do that today. If that describes you, um, then I would encourage you to check that box on the connection card. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to make Christ the boss or commit my life to Him for the first time. And then at the resource table, um, I'll be back there along with a few of our, our other leaders. And we have a booklet we'd like to give you. It's, it's called Two Ways to Live. And um, give it to you free and answer any questions you have about making commitment like that to make Christ the boss of your life. The other thing is identify my main off-road area and decide to get back on course. If there's an area that the Scripture really pointed to that you realize, man, that's, that's describing me right now, I'd encourage you to check that box and maybe write the general area so we can, as a staff, pray for you that you'd find victory and, and get back on course in that area. The third thing is sign up for a 10-week growth group course. You've been hearing about those. Not a course, I'm sorry. 10-week growth group. Um, the groups are intended to help us stay on course over a lifetime. It's because as we do life with other people, the support, the love, the encouragement, the pressure that relationships provide, that keeps us on course with God doing life His way long term. So we want to really encourage you. You've got two more weeks to sign up, so we'd really encourage you to you know, sign up for a group today. Cody's going to lead us in two more songs.